You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. I am so grateful that the Christian faith is not about what I do, but what has already been done. I love that the Christian faith that we are part of today, it's not about what I do. It's not about what we do. Yes, there's the doing and that we have to accept Jesus, but I'm so grateful that it's all about the finished work on the cross. And because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we have right standing with God. We are righteous before God this morning. I was having a conversation with someone a few weeks back and, um, um, and we have just a conversation about righteousness. And righteousness is not something that we're trying to attain. Righteousness is something that has already been bestowed on us. First, first Corinthians 1, Paul writes, and he says, Jesus, who has become our righteousness, he's become our redemption, he's become our holiness, that, that we don't seek to follow God to be made righteous. But we're seeking and following after God from a place of already being made right before God. Already being made right before him through Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross for us. Are you alive this morning? Yes. Are you, you're here? Yes. You're here? You're not just here in your body and your mind somewhere else, but you're, you're here? Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. You know... Um, just before I, I, I kick in, I just want to let you know that Pastor Marty and Pastor Margo are not, are not with us this morning. They are currently taking a well-earned break uh, and they're there on, on, on leave. So be praying for them. Be praying for refreshing and uh, refreshment and that God's hand would be all upon them, that God would bless them and, and uh, refresh and revitalize them. Not that they're tired and run down, but just for the next season because what we're part of is a marathon, what we're part of is, isn't some sprint that we just do a, do a little bit and, and, and that's it. But it's a marathon. Like Kylie said about Eloise Welling, she runs a long way. She runs a long way, 5,000 metres, 10,000 metres. But the Christian faith, what we're part of is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not something that we come and we do our 100 metres in 9.79 seconds like Usain Bolt. But it's a Christian faith. It's, it's a marathon. It's a marathon. It's not necessarily about how we start that race, but it's how we finish. And we want to be people who finish strong. Do you want to be someone who finishes strong? Yep. Or do you want to be one of those people who, who is known as someone who started a race, but just as the race went going, they just peed it off and that was it. But I want to be counted as one of the people who finish strong. Yep. I hope that's your heart as well. I hope that's your desire this morning. But um, I've been thinking... I've been thinking about this statement this week. As a Christian, my goal is not to be a better version of my former self. My goal is not to be a better version of my former self. My goal is not to even be like someone else, like that person that you follow on Instagram or that person that you are friends with on Facebook that just lives this most incredible life. And you look at your own life and you think my life's just dull and boring and empty and no significance whatsoever. But our goal is not to 
be a better version of who we used to be before we met Christ. It's not to be someone else that we're attaining to be like that person down the street or that person overseas that we follow and we're inspired by. It's not even to be a better Christian. But our goal is to be conformed and transformed into the image of Christ. That's what our goal is. You know, the best version of you, the best version that you can possibly muster up still has need of a saviour. The best version of me without all my junk and without all my rubbish and without all the the stuff that that sometimes we can only see about ourselves because we know the real us. But the best version that you can pull together, the best version that I can pull together still falls so short still falls so short of God. And that's why we have need of a saviour. That's why we have need of him. It's not about how good I can be or, 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 or how great I can be. But you know, whilst Christianity is all about what has already been done for us, the Bible makes no apologies at mixing grace and effort. You see, grace and effort can cohabitate. Grace and effort can can live together. But we're not striving to be made right with God. We're not striving to be made righteous before Him in our own strength. But, but, But we're pursuing Him and the call that is upon His life from a place of already being made right. But I wonder... I wonder if in our effort, our effort's going in the wrong direction. Maybe we're exerting our effort, trying to perfect ourselves, trying to be the the best version of our former self that we can possibly be. When in actual fact, I can't do it on my own. Why on earth... Would God the Father save me and redeem me through Jesus and then expect me to be conformed and transformed into the image of Christ on my own? Why would God do that? Why would he do that? You see, we don't want to just be people who sit back in our armchair, sit back in our easy chair and just just wait for God to miraculously change us as we so I was, I was listening to something this week and and so many of us just want the armchair breakthrough. So many of us want the hard yards of breakthrough to be done whilst we're asleep. We don't want to make any effort. Jesus has done it all. I don't have to do nothing. I don't have to do nothing because Jesus did it all. He did do it all, but we've got to combine that grace with effort. But there are some of us who aren't just sitting in the easy chair, but some of us who have received Christ and all of a sudden, we're trying to do it all on our own. We're, we're trying to chase Christ. We're trying to, so we're trying to prove something before God out of our own effort. But it's so important that the two come together. It's not all my effort. And no grace. And it's not all grace with no effort on my part. It's all about grace when it comes to salvation. 
But when it comes to being conformed and transformed into the, 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 the likeness of Christ, grace and my effort come together. They partner together. But are we, are we putting our effort in the wrong place? Are we exerting so much energy into something that doesn't even matter? I don't want to be someone like that that's exerting so much energy into something that doesn't even matter. We're right before God. We're not working to be made right. But the Bible makes no apologies when when Paul writes and he likens himself to a fighter. He likens himself to a fighter. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not like a fighter who just beats the air. He likens himself to an athlete running in this race. So there is effort required. But we're like a fighter. We're like an athlete. As you can see, I've been working on my athletic physique. I've been working on my athletic physique. It's it's coming along. (laughs) But he likens us to a fighter. He likens us to an athlete. How much effort does a fighter put in? My, my, My cousin's partner... He's a fighter and he's just recently in the last 12 months won some incredible belt. I can't remember what it is. I'm just so not into boxing. I've been to see him fight. He does a great job, but, but he puts so much effort into his training. I think about athletic people. Like I, I love to scroll through Facebook. I love to scroll through Instagram and see how my buddy Andrew Roscoe is going. I tell you what, that guy has put so much effort in to get to the place where he's... I watched this video of him the other day and he's doing a one-armed, one-leg push-up. I can't even do a two-armed, two-leg push-up, let alone one arm and one leg, but there's effort. Andrew didn't just wake up one day looking like Mr. February. A bit of effort went into that. He didn't just wake up and go, oh, well, I'll just do a one-arm, one-leg push-up. But it was a process that got us to this point that requires effort. And the Bible's not ashamed to bring grace and effort together. He's not ashamed. Not ashamed. Would you come with me in the word this morning to 1 Corinthians 13? No, you are not at a wedding. You are not at a wedding. Although it may feel like because we're in 1 Corinthians 13 that you're at a wedding, you are not at a wedding this morning. I just want to pray before we, we dive in. But Father, I thank you so much that it's not about what we've done. It's not about what we've said, but because of who you are, because of what you've done on the cross that makes us right and give us right standing before God. I think it's because of Jesus that we have right standing, not because of what I've done, because of what we've said, but Father, because of Jesus, that that work is finished, that work is done. But Father, as we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. It's not something where you give us a sticker and say, off we go, you go and do the rest now, but you want to partner with us. You want to partner with us that your grace and our effort would be combined as we seek to become more like you. Father, I, I pray that you would help us to be more like you. Not trying to be a better version of who we used to be, but Father, more like Christ. More like Christ. I pray as we open your word this morning that it wouldn't just be my 
ramble, Father, but that it would just be what you want to say. Let my words fall to the ground, but let what you want to say be said and let it be said so clearly in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this year, if you're in one of our... Hang on a second, fellas. Hang on a second. I don't want to give away what verses I'm going to be reading. No one turns to 1 Corinthians 13 and reads the love portion. But um, what we've been doing this year... I am going to be reading that part, by the way. But um, in our connect groups this year, in, in our word-based connect groups, we, we have been working through a series of messages based on, on, on a message that Pastor Marty, our senior pastor, preached called The Church That I See. It's a message that he first spoke at the back end of 2014 and then towards the, the back half of last year across five consecutive Sundays, a senior pastor unpacked the five pillars of the church that he sees. Number one, I see a church hungry for God. Number two, we see a church that loves the Bible. We see a church that is unified with an unshakable love for one another. We see a church with a huge heart for the lost and the broken. And we see a church that is passionate about discipleship. Now that is is what he sees. But you know, as part of this church, it's not just something that, that he sees. Let's not refer to that message as being the church he sees. He sees a church unified with an unshakable love for one another. But I, I'm a partner in the vision in this house and it's the church that we see. It's the church that I see. When I think about Generation City Church, that's the church that I see. I see a church, we see a church that is hungry for God. Let's not, let's not separate ourselves from the vision that's over this house, but let's, let's grab a hold of it and let's run with it and take it. We can become a church that is each one of those things. But what's it going to take? It's going to take a group of people to personify every one of those pillars. And we can be a church that is characterized by every one of those things. You know, we've been working this year through our connect groups through that series. Through that series, we've got a short DVD that, that has our senior pastor talking about each of the pillars. And we've got some, some questions and some scriptures that we open and that we talk about. And at the moment... We're currently at the back end of pillar number three. I see a church unified with an unshakable love for one another. One of the connect groups that I look after, we, we sat down and we watched the presentation and we read through 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through to 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Have you ever had one of those moments where you have read through a passage or in the Bible or, or just a single verse, you've read it and you've gone, oh, there's no way I can do that. There is absolutely no way I can do that. After we'd finished watching the presentation, 
in this connect gathering that I was a part of, I turned to our, our group and I said, so what do you think about that? Pretty much the answer across their whole group was, well, I suck at that. I suck at that. I'm not real good at that. I, I need to put in so much work to be able to do that. that I, I, I'm, I, I'm not a patient person. I'm, I'm, I'm not overly kind. It, um, it's, I, it's so easy to be angered and self-seeking. But have you ever read through a passage in the Bible and thought, I can't do that? That's just so hard. I can never, ever hope to live up to that. And we can become discouraged. We can become despondent. We can, we, we can almost get an attitude that says, well, never be, never going to be able to do that. So why even bother? We were chatting with someone this week just gone about, like, maybe for you, it's, it's not the verses on love in 1 Corinthians 13, but perhaps it's the verses in the Bible that talk about forgiveness. Perhaps it's those verses that you open up and you read where, where it says, love your enemies. Maybe it's those ones that you go, oh, I've got no hope of being able to do that. I've got no hope of being able to forgive. When I think about the bitterness and the anger and the resentment that I feel towards this person or these people for what they've done, there is absolutely no way that I can carry out that verse. As much as I would love to, the pain is just too much for me to bear. I was chatting with someone this week and that was their story. And I don't think they would be the only person who would be feeling that way. Over the process of the conversation, we came to the conclusion, of your own strength, you're not going to be able to do that. Of your own strength, you're not going to be able to walk in forgiveness. You're not going to be able to leave it behind and step into what God has for you because the truth is we can't do it on our own. We can't do it. We, we can't ever hope to live out 1 Corinthians 13 on our own. We can try. You might have a really good day one day and be able to walk in all those things. But I'm telling you right now, I'm probably going to disappoint a whole bunch of you this morning, but I haven't even got half those things down pat in my life. I could probably do one of those a day Maybe those days are spread by about three months apart on each one of those things. And I might, before lunch, be able to be patient. I, I may get through the first half an hour of my day before being easily angered. I never, ever want to stand up here in front of you and for you to ever think that I've got this all together. Because all of us are just like the rest of us. A wise woman once said that. All of us are just like the rest of us. But when we read those verses, God doesn't want us to be discouraged. God doesn't want us to sit back despondent, thinking, I can never hope to live up to that. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. I want to take you on a, just a short journey this morning into a thought process that I believe was a revelation from God to my own heart about this passage. 
I may unpack it for you and you might go, well, I already knew that. I want to encourage you just to open your heart. Open your heart. I, I really feel like God wants to say something to us this morning. These characteristics that are found in 1 Corinthians 13, what we need to understand is that these characteristics are an end result. They are an end result. They're a byproduct. What's a byproduct? A byproduct is something that happens as the result of something else. This is the end goal. This is, this is what God wants us to be like when we're conformed and transformed into the image of Christ, that we would be, I've lost my place, more patient, more kind, people that, that, that don't envy. But that's the end result as we let Christ be formed within us. But we can't have Christ formed within us all on our own. We can't. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. But this is a byproduct. It's the result of something that has already happened and has already taken place. You see, love. Where else in the Word do we read about love? This got me thinking. And it got me thinking about Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance in some translation that says patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So as I was thinking about this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, I felt the Holy Spirit take me to Galatians 5 where it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. But what I want to point out in this verse this morning is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. It's not about the fruit of Joel trying, to, uh, Joel trying harder. The fruit of Joel putting in more effort this week than he did last week. The fruit of Joel making a decision that I'm not going to be like that, I'm going to be like this. Because the fruit of Joel trying harder is discouragement. The, the, the fruit of Joel trying harder is despondency. The, tr- the, the fruit of Joel trying harder is failure, is disappointment. Because we can't ever hope to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives of our own accord. Maybe you're a super Christian and you're amazing at this, but I'm not. The fruit of the Spirit. You know, when we, when we unpack those characteristics in the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is, is love. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is not some lovey-dovey feeling. It's not some emotion that wells up when you love your boyfriend or your girlfriend. That lovey-dovey feeling when One Direction or Five Seconds of Summer or whoever walked past, that love that you feel in your eyes or in your heart or wherever you feel your love, 
It's not talking about that kind of love. When we're talking about joy, we're not talking about someone that just walks around laughing all day. We're not talking about someone who walks around and tells dad jokes to everyone they see. You ever want to hear a good dad joke? Have a conversation with Damien for five seconds. But people that have joy in their life, and I'm not talking about people that are just naturally happy and high on life. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. I'm not talking about people who have maybe had a couple of reefers and they're, 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 they're feeling pretty peaceful. I'm not talking about people who have maybe been to yoga or something like that, and all of a sudden they got peace flowing through their body, peace flowing through their veins. I'm not talking about a peace that comes from everything in your world being so perfect and well aligned. But we're talking about a love, a joy, and a peace, and all those other different characteristics that make absolutely no sense whatsoever. A love that, that when we think about it, like, uh, I just feel this love for people. I just feel this, this love that those people don't naturally deserve that love. But I just feel this love that's welling up in my heart. I feel this joy. My life sucks right now. Not personally, but, but, but perhaps you might be sitting going, my life sucks right now. My life is terrible, but it's having a joy in the midst of it. That's why the Bible says, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. A peace that in the midst of, of everything going wrong, in the midst of relationship breakdown, in the midst of sickness, in the midst, in, in the midst of turmoil and chaos in your life, having this inner, this inner peace that can't be explained. I don't know about you, but I was so inspired a few weeks ago when Reza was up here and she was, that, that woman, I tell you what, you are so inspiring, Reza. You could feel the love. Come on, let's give her a hand. Absolutely, absolutely. But to me, Reza has a joy that makes no sense. Reza has a peace that makes no sense whatsoever. You could just feel the fire within her body, within her bones, the, the love that she has for Jesus, that within the, within the storm, within the chaos that she was experiencing, she had this overwhelming sense of peace. That's not natural. That's not an emotion that Reza's worked up in her, in her life. But it's the fruit of the Spirit, but you see, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't just appear in our life. It doesn't just appear in our life. And it's not the fruit of us trying to love more. It's not the fruit of us trying to be more happy or being more peaceful and more gentle and more kind. Today, I'm going to try really hard to be patient. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient. Don't ever ever pray a prayer. God, help me to be more patient. That is the most dangerous, the worst prayer that you can possibly pray. I refuse to pray that prayer because you know what's going to happen? God's going to put you in situations where you can learn patience. Oh. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. So all of a sudden, we've got this love chapter 
I wanted to I wanted a whiteboard this morning. I love whiteboards, but I didn't I didn't bring a whiteboard up this morning. We've got this chapter, we've got the love chapter, which is like the the end result that that we we read and go, gosh, that's so unattainable. But as we take a step back from 1 Corinthians 13 into Galatians 5, and we think about the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of me trying harder, not the fruit of more effort, not the fruit of me being more determined today than I was yesterday, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'm not even saying this morning, we've now got to go out and we've got to work extra hard at getting the fruit of the Spirit in our life. But you see, fruit doesn't just appear. Fruit doesn't just appear in your life. We, um, well, not we, Beck, um, planted some lettuce out in our backyard. It's not there anymore because we have four chickens that decided that they wanted to eat it as well. But you see, that lettuce didn't just appear. We didn't just look out the window one day. Oh my goodness, there's lettuce! But it was fruit. It was fruit and fruit doesn't just appear. And I want to suggest to you this morning that even the fruit of the Spirit being evident in our life is still a byproduct. It's still a byproduct. When we think about love is patient, love is kind. It's a byproduct. It's the result of something else taking place. The fruit of the Spirit is also a byproduct. It's the result of something else taking place. So as I was on this journey with God, as I'm just thinking about this, I'm asking myself, where else in the Word does the Bible talk about fruit? And I believe the starting point, the starting point, the catalyst, the place where cultivation takes place that results in the fruit of the Spirit being grown in my life, cultivated in my life, that sees me walking out 1 Corinthians 13, that sees me truly being part of a church that is unified with an unshakable love as a starting point. You see, fruit's the end result. But the starting point, I believe, is found in John 15. John 15. John 15 verse 4 says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear no branch can bear fruit. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear neither can you bear unless you remain in me. Verse 5 says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much. You will bear much. 
apart from me, you can do nothing. I hope you're following me this morning. The 1 Corinthians 13 is a byproduct. You're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and have 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 8, flowing out of your life. It's not going to happen. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're just a super Christian and it'll happen for you. But I highly doubt it. It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct of the fruit of the Spirit. I'll tell you what, when I was writing this down, I had mind maps going everywhere. Galatians 5. Why do you need a whiteboard? Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. But how do I get the fruit of the Spirit, which is another byproduct? How do I get that cultivated, growing, germinating, overflowing in my life? Then remaining in Him. Being connected to the vine. Being connected to Jesus. Because when I'm not connected to Jesus, I, no branch can bear fruit by itself. No branch can bear fruit by itself. But I think so many Christians, we're trying to bear the fruit of the, the Spirit. We're trying to bear the fruit of 1 Corinthians 13 on our own. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, the thing about the word byproduct is it's the result of something else. It's the result of, of something else having taken place. But as you read through the definition of byproduct, sometimes something being the byproduct can, can, can be an unexpected or unintended result. And I want to suggest to you, as we take our focus off desperately trying to produce fruit in our lives and we focus on remaining in Christ, remaining connected to Him, abiding in Him, vitally connected to Him, that these things will be sometimes an unexpected fruit of our life. It's unexpected in that it's like, well, I haven't been trying to produce fruit. I started off by saying that grace and effort coming together. I feel like God wants to say this morning, instead of trying to use our effort to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life, to focus our efforts on remaining in Him. To focus my energy on making sure that I stay connected to the vine. I believe one of the biggest 
lies, misconceptions, whatever you want to call it, that we as Christians believe is that Jesus wants to be number one in your life. Jesus wants to be number one. Number one. First thing in the morning, first thing you do, number one, spend time with Jesus. But he doesn't want to be number one in your life. He doesn't want to be the first thing you do that's a tick box. How many Christians are convinced that God is number one in their life just because they give God the first 20 minutes of their day? But for the rest of the day, never think one, once more about him. It's only that 20 minutes. I wonder how many, how many people believe that just because they come to church once on a Sunday, that that means that Jesus is the number one priority in their life. But you see, Jesus doesn't want to be at the top of a list of priorities that you have in your life. You see, Jesus wants to be the center of your life. He wants to be the center. He doesn't want it to be, okay, here's, here's my, my relationship with God, my relationship with God, and, and then comes my, my, my marriage, and then, then comes my career, then, then comes my study. No, no, Jesus wants to be the center of your marriage. He wants to be the center of your relationships. He wants to be the center of your career. He wants to be the center of your hopes and your dreams. He wants to be the center of your life. And true remaining, true remaining is not done as a checkbox. But it might start within the morning. You know, I've been praying this simple prayer each morning. God, help me today to be more like Jesus. Help me today to be more like Jesus. Well, shouldn't you be praying to be a better disciple? Shouldn't you be praying that you're going to impact people, that, that, that you're going to fulfill the Great Commission? If I'm simply Jesus, if my aim and my goal is to be more Christ-like, that's a natural flow on. That's a natural flow on. See, making disciples and, and telling people about Jesus, if I'm being Christ-like, that's just a byproduct. That's just a flow on from my life. But let's focus all our efforts and our energy to remaining in him because unless we remain in him we can't bear fruit it's going to be all this energy that we exert as we try to do it all by ourselves you weren't saved by grace to have to do the rest all by yourself and the holy spirit wants to help you he wants Christ to be formed in you. He wants the fruit of the Spirit overflowing out of your life. But it's as we remain in Him. Let's, let's forget about the end result. I'm not saying forget about being patient, forget about being kind. Let's throw the pillar three out the window. No. If we're people that know how to remain, when we remain connected to the vine, the fruit has a chance to grow. But if, if we're Connected to the vine and then we're not connected to the vine and then we're connected to the vine and then we're not connected to the vine and then we have a few weeks not connected to the vine and then we have a few weeks connected to the vine. How fruitful is that vine going to be? How fruitful? If the team could come back this morning as I pull this to a close. 
Remaining in Christ doesn't mean we just sit at home with our Bible open all day and never go to work, uni or anywhere. That's not what remaining in Christ is. It's being Christ aware wherever we are. As I go to work, it's really hard to be Christ-like at my work, believe me. Really hard. Working with Jono, it's very hard to be Christ-like. Talk about patience. Long suffering. (laughs) But as we're going to work, maybe you've got some scriptures. Maybe remaining in Christ for you is instead of trying to read your four readings on your your version plan, just so you can tick that little green box, might just mean taking one little verse. One verse. And throughout the day, maybe you need to put it on the lock screen on your phone. Maybe remaining in Christ for you is when you're on your commute and you're heading to work and you're heading to uni, whatever you're doing, is, is maybe using an audio Bible in the car. Maybe, maybe remaining in Christ is, is bringing our mind back. It's interesting, Romans 8 verse 5. I think I, think I gave that one to you. Romans 8 verse 5. It says, that Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. A lot of it's about our, our, our mind and, and where we're focusing our thoughts. Oh, I can't meditate on the Word of God. Can you worry about a problem in your life? You can meditate. We just need to work on what we're meditating on. But Galatians 6. Galatians 6. Verse 8. It says, Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. encourage you to start sowing some seeds into the spirit sowing some seeds into the spirit man maybe maybe you need to just start by actually opening your bible maybe you need to just start by just opening it maybe for you if you're already reading it maybe you need to slow down and think about what it is that you're reading but sow some seeds our our life is producing fruit and if you don't like the fruit that your life is producing start changing where you where you're sowing seed Start changing where you're sowing seed. We'll reap eternal life. Verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we don't give up. Stay connected to the vine. Put your effort into staying connected to Christ. And the fruit will come. I invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Father, I I thank you that again what Jesus did on the cross is a finished work. It's a finished work. 
we've received salvation for free. But Father, I thank you that in your goodness and in your grace, you, you, you don't now say, there you go, there's a sticker, put that on your chest. You're a Christian now, now go and be like Christ. But Father, you sent the Holy Spirit. You sent the Holy Spirit as a helper to help us to form Christ within us. We, we don't have to do it on our own. But Father, I'm not even going to ask people to raise their hands, but Father, I pray for every single one of us where we have been trying of our own effort, of our own accord to produce fruit, where we've been trying of our own effort to be a better Christian. Father, I pray that you would help us to direct that effort on being connected to you and remaining in you. God, if we remain in you, fruit is just a natural byproduct in the process, but it's about staying reconnected to the vine. Father, for people who have disconnected themselves from the vine, I pray that you would help them reconnect themselves to your vine. It's never too late to remain in you. It's never too late to abide in you. God, I thank you that our fruitfulness doesn't, isn't determined by age. It's not determined by how long we've been a Christian. But Father, our fruitfulness is determined by our willingness to stay connected to your vine.